Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of For the Good of the Game, a unique podcast dedicated to providing football insights and life skills. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, guys, JD here with another episode of For the Good of the Game. Sitting here with me today is the repunt turner for the NFL 75th anniversary all-time team. He's in the College Hall of Football Hall of Fame and in the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame, a Division III product out of Widener College who has been ranked in the top five best return men in NFL history. The man, the myth, and certainly the legend, Billy White Shoes Johnson. Billy White Shoes Johnson, he was the first of the great return men in the NFL. He was the first returner to develop a strong identity. Billy White Shoes. White Shoes. White Shoes? A little fella they called Billy White Shoes. Electrifying return by Billy White Shoes Johnson. Little number 84, Billy Johnson, a slippery escape artist who can turn a simple punt return into a geometry lesson. Best way to describe it is trying to catch a hummingbird or maybe a lightning bug because Billy was everywhere. Johnson at the 30, 20, touchdown Billy Johnson. In my mind, Billy White Shoes Johnson is the greatest return man ever. He should be number one. In fact, this, this list is a sham if he's number three. He should be number one. Coach, we really appreciate you being here to hang out with us today. Thank you, John. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's going to be great. Coach, I want to get right into something, do a little myth busting right off the bat. Uh, you know, you, you have quite a history, and uh, I w- I'd like everybody to know, in terms of the White Shoes nickname, where that came from. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, <laughs> that name was given to me back in high school. It was, uh, we were all sitting on a porch one day, just out there talking, you know, talking smack, truthfully, having fun, and the guy asked, he says, if you're, if you're so good, he says, I got a guy, he says, I have an idea for you. Why don't you paint your shoes white? You're going to be a quarterback. You like Joe Namath, so won't you? And just crazy stuff. He said a lot more, and we start jawjacking back and forth. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And I like the challenge then. You know, they, they were daring me. So I went and had my shoes dyed. I had like two pairs of sh- good shoes. At that time, they were kangaroo leather. And uh, I was able to go to a nice cobbler then, a great guy uh, who handled, you know, did all the shoe work. Sure, so he sure. Uh, was able to do that. and. It looked like they were brand new. You couldn't even tell that they were dyed. And uh, that's what happened. I started wearing them and went to a training camp uh, uh, for practice uh, during the summer. And, um, you know, I wore the shoes. And mm-hmm. camp didn't coach didn't say anything for a while. So later on, in one of the afternoon practice, he said, hey, what's up with the white shoes? Because he didn't like the, the frills and thrills. <laughs> he was a no-nonsense guy. That's awesome. So he looked at me one day and said, what's up with them? So for a better excuse, I mean, well, I didn't have no excuse. I just said, hey, they make me run faster. He said, okay. So later on uh, that afternoon, we had a scrimmage, and I had a good scrimmage, and he never said another word about them. That's, never that's said great. another word. I and love then, that. Uh, I really got the name by uh, uh, there was a team in our conference that was the number one rated defense mm-hmm. throughout the whole county. And uh, I had a good game. They, we scored a lot of points on them. And uh, the newspaper editor came because it was family day, you know, and he dubbed me the name of Billy Whiteshoes Johnson. I'll never forget Mr. Ed Gephardt doing that. I thought it was hokey at the time. And I said, oh, man, but it was the best thing ever happened to me. Nicknames. That's awesome. And you know what's funny is when I first met you, we were walking. 
toward one another in the hotel lobby in Orlando for the camp we were doing. And right. you had white shoes on. Of course, I'd seen your picture and I'd seen you play. But I, I, I came up and I said, you know, Billy, white shoes, I presume. And and But the, the main clue from a distance was I, I, I will look down to check and see. So um, second, yeah. second, a little bit of myth busting here. Uh, what is the origin of the funk? I mean, you were you are really credited by most people with being the guy who, you know, coined the end zone dance, came up with the idea of an end zone celebration after a touchdown. What, what's the origin of Funky Chicken? Uh, that was probably gone playing a rival ball club of ours and and uh, saying some things and being challenged by once again, going to get you in trouble all the time, challenged by the teammates. And I said, if I score against these guys because they were our arch rival and I said, I'm going to dance. And at that time, Rufus Thomas was out, you know, just having fun, just, you know, crazy things. And it was spontaneity. I said, I got to do something when I scored. And uh, I said, I, I told him I would dance, so I danced because you didn't want to welch on the belt on the bed. So that's how I started doing the funky that's chicken. Great. Now, I, I imagine that once you got uh, into the NFL and, and were able to build on that a little bit, the whole thing with the splits Ooh, and the spike and yeah, all that kind of yeah. came in. Well, that, that was down the road because yeah. when I first did it in the NFL, I thought that was the biggest hot dog trick you could do. Because <laughs> you're in the big leagues, they say. When you're in the big leagues, you don't act bush. You don't you know? hot dog, yeah. You don't hot dog. And I said, oh, my goodness. I was just so excited. And it was against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was our end around. And I got it, and I outran the secondary, and I was just so happy to get into the end zone. <laughs> Who knows? That would be the first trip to the to the uh, Super Bowl champs, to becoming Super Bowl champs. And I did it, and I said, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. Thank goodness Bum was there, and Sid Gilman could care less at that time. So uh, when I did it, I, I went over and asked Bum. I said, Bum, I said, man. He said, well, shoot, if that's what it takes, he said, I hope to see more of it. That kind <laughs> of a deal. And I said, oh, man, we were no big deal. We just have, because I never tried to stick it in somebody's face. I always right. got away right. from them and to the end zone. I mean, even they liked it. They just didn't want me to do it. That's awesome. Our opponents. Hey, Coach, let's, let's talk a little bit about the game today. Um, they've designed some new targeting rules. Of course, safety of the players is right. a big thing. Right. And, you know, we had some guys back in the day, you know, the Jack Lamberts of the world that would just crush guys coming across the middle. They've designed this stuff for safety of the players as well as to kind of speed and clean up the game a little bit. The new targeting rule. From your perspective as a return man and wide receiver, what do you think about that, uh, you know, as far as safety advantages, disadvantages to the game? It's challenging. Uh, it really is. I, I can see both sides of it. But for me, football's football. I think what sometimes when you try to stay within the guidelines, you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to uh, help the opposing team. Uh, I just think you got to go out there and play, do what you normally do, be instinctive. You're not trying to hurt somebody or cripple somebody uh, and, and, and let the chips fall where they may. I, I'm not a big proponent of it because some of the things they do, uh, what's a cheap shot or what's targeting in your eyes may, be, uh, may not be targeting in exactly. my eyes, even with the officials and officiating. It's one something that is you can tell when somebody does it maliciously. Like uh, one of the games I saw past week, the, uh, against Clemson when they played Ohio, that kid wasn't trying to hurt uh, the quarterback. Right. Uh, he quarterback ducked his head, and so happened he went through him and hit him. That was a, to me that was a bad call. That was a bad call, and of course to change the complexion of the game. That's what happens sometimes when, when uh, it is a discretion call. Uh, so uh, I, it, it's hard. I, I truly understand it, but football is football. It's a game of uh, spontaneity. You got to go out there. You got to think on your feet. You got to react when you have to in certain situations. And to me, especially in kickoffs, well, shoot, they used to kick the ball to a sideline and hem us up. We had to stay there. Sure. But now it's, it's a little bit easier. And they used to let the guy, all the guys release all everybody at once. 
which was kind of challenging. Well, and, you know, I think as long as you recognize, and I don't use the word in, in, the, in a real negative sense, it's a right. violent game. There are going to be some tough collisions and there's going to be exactly. some things happen. So if you, if you take that into account, I, I do agree with trying to create the safest environment possible, but I think sometimes taking some of that aggressiveness and that spontaneity out of the game has is, is hurt it in a couple of ways. It so. has, and, and, and I understand that, but I just think you've got to be on top of it. If you're not sure and nobody's really hurt, let it stand. Let it go. Let it go. Because I've seen times when they made a call and the running backs dropped his head or the quarter, especially our little quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. You know, they've dropped and you know, put themselves in harm's way when the guy is doing what he's supposed to do, running through the tackle, locking his arms up, you know, uh, locking up and running through them. And he ducks his head and of course he gets hit so yeah yeah those are tough calls those those bang bang calls especially are tough let's talk about something else that's a new rule change this year particularly at the collegiate level where and again it it it's done both to speed up the game i think and for safety but the 25 within the 25 uh, let me rephrase that on the kickoffs within the 20 they can fair catch they can mm -hmm. be in the field of play now and fair catch and yeah. they get the ball at the 25-yard line. So you, you could always obviously catch it in the end zone and down mm -hmm. it like you could back in the day. What do you think about that in terms of it, it changed the dynamic completely sure at the has. collegiate level for guys like you? It sure has. I, I, I'm not a proponent of it, truthfully. Uh, it's football. So they should, you, you know, you're going to kick the ball and you got to return it. To me, it, uh, right now, on both sides, they try to sit down and, uh, once again, we're talking about the safety of the players, but for me, it's, it's if a guy has to return a kick on the field of play, then he has to go back and sit next, and the offensive scheme has to be able, has to be implemented. Mm -hmm. so that's the way it should be. A guy has to return the ball. To me, it's the only way it should be done. Um, but now, you know, if you're trying to get field position and try to, you know, it's a matter of uh, scheme they're trying to, to present. I just, uh, I'm not a proponent of it, to be honest with you. Well, I know, you know, obviously there has always been gaming or scheming of the situation in football, but now that creates a whole nother dynamic because for, for all intents and purposes, a coach can create a scheme starting at the 25 every single time. Every unless time. they squib kick it or it gets, you know, recovered further out, it's it starts in the same place. So I, I do I do tend to agree because... You know, as an old school fan of the game and mm -hmm. seeing guys like yourself, that was an exciting part of the game yes. that's almost been taken away now because of this dynamic with the yeah. rule change. To me, so. you know, that is one, you know, kickoff, man, you can imagine if a guy breaks one and goes to the 40, boy, the excitement, the momentum. Sure. Then again, if he's stopped on the 10 or 15-yard line, boy, the other team or the opponents get that, that momentum shift. So to me, I, I think you're talking about uh, – uh, Momentum changers in a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do too. I just change gears here a little bit and talk about this. something that I hear or heard a lot when I was coaching high school ball is, you know, kids get enamored with, well, if I can't go play for this D1 school, mm -hmm. fill in the blank, I'm not going to try. You know, <laughs> um, you know, there's there's this um, myth out there about, well, if you're going to go to the NFL, you got to come from a major program. Mm -hmm. You know, and coming from Widener College, uh, obviously, uh, as a D3 program in Pennsylvania, you know, out of Chichester High School, here you are, you know, smaller than normal guy, got overlooked a little bit because of your size, but your your speed was huge. What do you think about, uh, and what would you say to the young TD or the young Billy Johnson who was in high school or even getting ready to, just to step into college at some level other than D1 about uh, – you know, hey, you can still make it if you've got the tools. Well, I, I think, you know, right now the way they can um, go out 
and research and recruit athletes, uh, if your talent, if you're doing well at a small college, they're mm-hmm. going to look at it. They're going to hear about it. Let me say that. They're going to hear about it. Sure. They, they may say, well, he's from that conference. Forget him. He's from this conference. But I really think, though, a lot of guys from small schools can play on the next level if given the right opportunity. A lot of them, they're just overlooked. Well, they just bring him in for the sake of we bought him in to shut people up. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. I think that's what happened with me and the Eagles. They just thought, well, if I come in, he's a hometown guy, they might get upset because we cut him, and so we're not even going to think about bringing him in. I, I really do believe that with good coach, there are good coaches everywhere. And if a guy can play, he can play anywhere. It's just getting that opportunity. So I, I would tell a young man, if that's where you want to go, at least go somewhere where you can get on film and they can see it. Because once they see what you're doing, they say, well, let's see how he does up here. You're going to get that opportunity. To me, I, and plus, I think it's so much better. The only thing we miss is the money they get in the big schools. I'm joking. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not joking, no. But, you know, it's just that, you know, you, you, you probably, of course, you get better bed uh, uh, dorms and fields and uniforms and things like that. But, no, I, I, I think it, 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 you even it out when you come on the field and you're able to show what you can do. That's great. What you know, given what you just said, what do you think about this uh, this rule? Well, it's not a rule change. The the dynamic that's being created right now and evaluated by the NCAA after this uh, the House and Senate in California passed this law, <laughs> uh, where guys are going to yeah. be able to be compensated for their name and likeness. What do you think that's about that? That's a can of worms. It really is. I think uh, if that's the case, and it has to go down to because you're not only talking about guys now; you're talking about girls. Remember that that, that, mm-hmm. that rule nine? Absolutely. So you're talking Top about nine, men yeah. and women. Uh, they're opening up a can of worms. You know, they're basically thinking of the the most revenue making sport, which is probably football, maybe basketball. But when you start doing that, you're going to have to look at other programs. Uh, I, I hope they really consider that, that unless they're going to make an exception, a, a rule exception for football and maybe basketball. But uh, to me, I, it, you know, we're supposed to go to get an education. And, uh, and we're automatically a scholar athlete because we're playing an athlete. We're an athlete who's playing, who's, who's going to school, hopefully, sure. to get a degree. Sure. So I, they better be very careful. That's a, that's a slippery uh, road there, you know. I agree with you. And I I tell you, there's two angles that I think uh, warrant really, really uh, investigating before they implement anything. And that's how do you legislate it? How do you control it? Because the Power Five big schools, Power Five conferences, the big schools that Mm -hmm. already make hundreds of millions off their programs, theoretically are going to create more visibility for those athletes than the wideners of the world. And the other thing is the wolves in sheep's clothing that are going to come out and start influencing parents who are then going to influence the athletes. Oh, yeah. It it just creates a whole other dynamic in the recruiting game that coaches are going to have to deal with. I would hate to be a coach of some of those institutions because it's going to drive you crazy. Well, he's going to go here for more money. And if I'm a coach, I want to get guys who want to be here who want to play. Exactly. I would love to have the exceptional athlete, the five-star, the four-star athlete. But I'm not going to put up with all that crap that you have to go through just to get an athlete in. Then you're going to have people uh, from the bush jumping out of the bushes trying to pretend they're agents or they're representatives. It's crazy. I, you know, if, there's needs, if they need some legislation to do it, make it fair for everybody. But don't just think because, uh, uh, you know, USC or all your Power Five schools can pay, and I'm just using that as an example. Right, right. But uh, don't think it's not going to go across the board to your to your. Uh, and they should. If you do it for football, you should do it for every sport you have. I agree. And then, uh, it, like I say, they 
they should let leave them alone. And I just think sometimes they get in, get involved in something and they've really never thought about it, all the details, uh, uh, facts that is going to be involved in that mm-hmm. to bring about a normalization of athletes getting paid or uh, and all this other stuff. Because athletes know what they're getting into. Sure. Believe me. They sure. know what they're getting into. So uh, it's just who's representing them and those who who push and who it's like the squeaky wheel. Whoever is, uh, cries aloud, you know, they're going to get attention, uh, get that attention. So I really think that if they they better go slow, they better table that for for as long as they can. I agree. Yeah, there there are uh, a couple of angles I've heard discussed that 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 bothered me, but uh, I think the biggest thing is the. Uh, uh, just the concept of the outside influences that are now oh, going gosh. to have to yeah. be waded through in the recruiting process. So we'll see what happens. Let me uh, let me ask you. We got uh, uh, a week after the Super Bowl, we got the uh, XFL <laughs> coming back, a little spring football league yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, of course, that was tried once before, several times, and uh, they uh, they are going to start off with the first round of games uh, the week after the Super Bowl this year in February. Um, what do you see as as potential for the for the good of the game type of thing for the football development itself with a spring league? How do you see that playing out? It can be very successful, very fruitful for some teams uh, with guys who want to play, guys who they thought, you know, some guys get injured and they still need to play. Uh, you don't want to take somebody who's supposed to be a player and get injured and haven't played in a year or two and bring him in trial. I think it's a great avenue and great vehicle whereby you can get guys who want. Who, who need to get groomed, who need to get that uh, challenge on another level. Mm-hmm. It's like baseball, triple-A ball, basically what it is. Uh, as long as they're not challenging the NFL, it's not the NFL. As long as you know going in, then I really believe that you're going to get some players who are going to leave that and go right to the NFL. And you're going to have some very good success, success stories because some of the coaches are real good coaches. Absolutely. And that's what some of these kids need. Yeah, we have uh, we have several mutual friends that are coaching at mm-hmm. the at the uh, coordinator level and the and the position yeah. coach level, and I'm I'm really anxious to see because I'm all about you know supporting creating opportunities. Exactly. Uh, you know, and and I think that uh, a lot of guys don't realize how many are out there. You know, if they if they're willing to travel, for instance, going to play in another country. You know, there's professional mm-hmm. leagues all over the world that a lot of people are not aware of. But certainly, the XFL provides an opportunity here in the states in some major cities, major markets that guys exactly. can get seen yeah. and hopefully get that opportunity. And they, and they don't have to go to Canada. That's the good thing about it. You yeah. can stay in the state. Uh, and and I really think it can be a, a real good situation for players want to get uh, tested before they go to the next level. Well, that's a great way to look at it. I, I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, the, the dis- despite the rules differences that they have in the XFL, I just read through those the other day, that because we have a lot of experienced uh, major college and or NFL coaches mm-hmm. coaching those teams that it'll be a neat experiment in terms of within that rule change to see how those guys are able to scheme and perform and give guys opportunities to be uh, showcased. Right. So no kickoffs is one I heard. Yeah, it which is. is good. That's interesting. That, that's, you know, and I think on that level, you may be able to get by with it. But I really think if you do that, eliminate that from the from the pro game, I, I think you're hurting it. Because that's, to me, that can be a change. A guy gets a punt, or gets a kickoff, returns it. Uh, for positive yards, sets a team up, offensive up in, uh, uh, in a good position, or that guy can fumble, you know, and sets and defenses has now uh, won the battle. So I, it, it's interesting, but I, I'm anxious to really to see how effective uh, they play within the new rule changes. 
Yeah, I am too. Coach, I want to do something real quick. I'm going to bring up a, a video, and it's one that I know you've seen before. Um, and I'm, I'm, I just wanted to kind of walk through. And really what I'd like to do is I'm going to let this thing play first and uh, go ahead. And what I'd, what I'd love to be able to do is, uh, is just kind of as this goes through on a couple of these highlights, is, is talk through thinking back in your mind what what were you thinking at the time what's going through your mind as you're catching the pass as you're returning the punt of the kickoff and just talk to us here about what's going on well basically here it's nothing but a uh, deep in route uh, and just getting the position to so, so once you catch it so that you don't get hit uh, here is just a, it's just a return mm-hmm. I'm running for my life <laughs> I'm running for my life and as one of the guys to say keep your feet moving uh, and keep your eyes open because very rarely do they get a good shot on you. They just want to hold you up or misdirect you mm-hmm. uh, so that the other guys may make the tackle. This is my rookie season, believe it or not. I'll never forget this. I went backwards, and boy, was I scared because Sid Gilman was our guy, <laughs> was our head coach. And boy, rookies had a tough road to hoe with him being there. So uh, I remember that succinctly. My first touchdown ever. I think you just talked uh, about yeah, this, talked about you? this one here, yeah. yeah. Uh, against Pittsburgh still. And that was at the old Astrodome. I can tell by that old nasty carpet. Mm-hmm. That, that stuff was hard. It, it was terrible. Oh, man. Terrible. And that's why I said I love practice. We had nice grass fields and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I remember being on the floor of the Astrodome the first time I was in there, and I'm like, this is like playing in a parking lot with, with a little bit of fuzzies on it. Yeah, it, it, was, it, hard it, it was hard to say. People didn't realize that, you know. You know so, what I love I, I love to see is that it uh, is the vision. I mean, I mean, you know, you, despite the fact, you know, everybody always uses this phrase, speed kills. I mean, obviously it does. It, it speeds a great equalizer or, or advantage in, in any game, certainly football. But how do you think your vision helped you so much, especially in the return game? Well, first of all, I was a running back in college, and that helped to always know where, you know, where that heat's coming from. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I played a lot of baseball, so a lot of it was just fielding the ball in the area where you can see, where your periphery, sure. where you always, and the best bet is to get to the sideline so you can, only, you can see they're only coming at you from one angle. <laughs> you know, you stay in the middle of the field is when you break that first line of, um, of defenders. Then you know you're in good shape, so... Uh, you always want to know where you are. That's that's what happens. It's always know where you are. I never never forget a coach saying that. Know where you are and know who is defending you. Who's I mean, yeah, you can have a return guy, but is he the main main headhunter? Exactly. Know where he's from. Exactly. Know where he is. All right. So, coach, I want to. This one right here just blew my mind the first time I saw it. Uh, this this Willie Mays catch over the shoulder here. Oh, your with yeah. your fingertips. What was up with that? Well, you know that goes. <laughs> well, see, when you play baseball, playing shortstop, and play outfield a lot, you learn how to to, to judge the ball. And sure. I think that's what happens to a lot of young returners. They don't uh, put, position themselves to see the flight of the ball, see mm-hmm. how it is. You know, you're watching that point whether it's going to drop away, it's going to sell away from you. And I just I just did that for show though. That was automatic. I, no, I wish that were true. <laughs> and I just wanted to catch it and, and secure it and, and then, you know, do what I have to do afterwards. Do you believe in the mantra that as a, as a return guy, you catch the ball with your feet? I was told that yeah, by one of my yeah. white coaches. You put yourself in position always with position. your feet. You always square the ball. away. You want that ball to cut your body in half, mm-hmm. you know, uh, vertically. And then uh, you can go with it. If it, cur- if it. if it floats on you one way or the other, it's in front of you. You catch it with your hands. And then if you drop it, it's right there before you take it. But if you try and catch it with your pads, it's no good. But your feet is what sets you up to catch the ball. And that's true. You get there and always set up. Just like if I'm going to throw, if I'm catching the ball in the outfield, I'm going to set up 
get there and set up so I can go one motion. I'm Absolutely. not going to catch it, then step. No, I'm going to go right through it. So that's what happens. Yeah, I wanted to uh, go back to something you were talking about earlier that I thought was fascinating. You, you were uh, describing for me uh, the uh, All-Star game you played in. Uh, recap that a little bit with those that the level of talent of those guys that came out of your county. Oh, man, yeah. And see, that's the thing people don't realize. We've, you know, that county, Delaware County, has so many great athletes. I'm not saying good, but great athletes. Going back as far as Eminem Tunnell, who was a— Hall of Famer, who, when I broke the punt return record, his record was the one I broke. Wow. And we played his high school. Harrington, he was only like 20 minutes from Wise State. I didn't realize that at that time. Mm-hmm. But going back on that high school team, when I graduated, uh, Capaletti was, we played against each other in an all-star game. But John Capaletti was on that all-Delco team, which right. we were all, all on it together, mm-hmm. who became a Heisman Trophy winner. Randy Grossman was on it, who was a tight end for the Pittsburgh Steelers, known for his short hands. And he, could, he was a tough guy. He could block, too, but he was really a great uh, receiver uh, who got three Super Bowl rings. Sure. Then you had uh, Chris Arnold, who played in the Birmingham, who got that championship ring. And then Oakland wanted him. He was going to go play with Oakland. He died from a uh, brain tumor. Mm. Then you had... Uh, um, Don Clune, who played a couple of years with the Giants, uh, he went to the University of Pennsylvania, was a great hurdler there. Uh, and he was, who else? There's one more I missed. Oh, Steve Shawakam. He uh, played, I think, maybe a year or so with the Baltimore Colts at that time. And uh, I may be missing one more, but we were all on that Delaware County um, uh, team. And little did we know, we all get a chance to play on the next level and go to the big time uh, and go huh? to the big time That's but awesome. it was a lot of fun and you know those guys and they were good guys too they weren't you know they were really good guys to be around fun to be around well i, I tell you there's there's been a couple of other situations i know of where a, a, a concentration of talent like that came out of one school or one county or whatever and it's amazing when that happens and it only happens on a very rare basis so coach what i want to do is to kind of finish up here uh i'm going to I'm actually going to set a, you know, relevant to football, I'm going to set a two-minute timer here and uh, do a little thing called the two-minute drill. And these are, I've just got 10 questions to go through. There's some related to football, some some aren't, just to kind of give, uh, you know, the, the viewers and listeners a, a mm-hmm. flavor of, of uh, kind of where you are back then and where you were now. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the first one and, and uh, kind of rapid-fire moment. So we're looking back, what was your favorite youth sports moment uh, in any sport, not just football? Well, it was probably football. Uh, I was just a new guy. First time I started playing organized ball, we went. Our team went undefeated. And the last three games, four games, our starting halfback, because I was only 87 pounds, he got hurt. <laughs> and we went down to play at the uh, convention uh, mm-hmm. convention center in Atlantic City. And we were playing the Belmar Purple Eagles, and they were they were a hot team. You know, they played the little Quakers and all this other good stuff, but we beat them. And we had an undefeated season. First time that uh, – and the, and the team had only existed for about two years. See, I think undefeated seasons are, are a thing that are, that are way underrated at any level. Yeah, if you go any, undefeated. Any you know, level. Yeah, yeah, never, yeah, any level. That's why I remember it so well. Absolutely. And I scored the two touchdowns in that game. I'll never forget. <laughs> I caught a pass, as a matter of fact. <laughs> the running back catching a pass. That's awesome. Uh, when you were at Widener, favorite college play or game, if there's not a specific play maybe that jumps out in your mind? Oh, man. That was, that was golly, dang, we had so many good games. Uh, but playing uh, against Flanken and Marshall, which was a real good team, and, and they shut me down one year, and the next year we beat them. And, and that was great. 
uh, the challenge there and having fun. And that was because we respected them. They respected us. And it was really a good game. Yeah, I appreciated playing in games like that when I was yeah. in high school and college. At, at any level, uh, did you have a favorite coach that you remember that really influenced you along the way? Oh, gosh, a coach? Yeah, youth, uh, youth leagues. Uh, believe it or not, it was my track coach who, 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 who you know, prior to that, was it was Lou Patika, the Bob Shout, of course, my football coach, Apicella, and uh, above all, Coach Manlove. Coach uh, Manlove. Uh, huh? He's a man to model, uh, uh, a young man should model himself after a coach like that. That's awesome. It's, it, when you do things wrong, you felt bad because it's like a dad coming after you and talking to you. I'm so disappointed in you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. He get after you, but boy, you, he, was just, he was just fair and just and honest. And pros, of course, you know, you had Bum Phillips and Dan sure. Henning for me. So yeah. That's awesome. What about uh, any on any of the teams? So it's best NFL teammate. Is there somebody that sticks out in your mind? Oh, gosh, I had a couple. Conway Heyman, um, C.L. Whittington, uh, Ronnie Coleman, Earl Campbell, of course, um, Robert Brazil. You know, so I, we were all like a little family. But I remember that in high school, it was, it was uh, I will say, Art Henry at that time. That's cool. Uh, um, away from football, favorite movie? Do you have a you have one you like or a go-to mm. movie? Yeah, me and my wife. Oh gosh, so many of us. We liked. We liked the Big Chill. We liked uh, uh, Malcolm X. Um, golly day. Uh, too many to mention. Yeah, I cause... hear you. I hear you. Well, you obviously got a little bit of movie buff in you. So when nobody's looking, you got a favorite snack food. You, you is your go-to. Why you want me to tell them myself? <laughs> that's chocolate. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's my yeah, wife yeah, joins yeah, you there, Julie. Yeah, the oh, I try too, to stay so, away from so. that, and I do. I, I have my moments. Yeah. yeah. What's your, what about favorite non-football activity nowadays? Oh gosh, I, I still like you know getting uh, weightlifting and, and and still running. Yeah, I know when you walked in and shook hands with you, you're still pretty solid. You know, I said, yeah. Coach, been on the weight room a little bit. So if uh, if anybody's coming to visit in Atlanta, what's, what would be your first place you would recommend for them to go see? I would I would encourage them to probably go to the um, Martin Luther King uh, Center. Hmm. Uh, Good choice. Uh, then you know, you got the other ones. you got Stone Mountain. You've got uh, the College Hall of Fame. Uh, depending how... Uh, Ambitious they are. So many places here in Atlanta to yeah, go to. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. When uh, when you're out for dinner, do you have a go-to meal you like to get? I'm not a, I'm not a big dinner guy. I, yeah. don't, I don't eat. I just eat. To, so some people live to eat. I just eat to survive. I mean, uh, and I can take what I love before I stop, before I change my diets from about 30 years ago. But <laughs> but for me, no. no uh, you know, I'm not, I, I used to like a lot of Italian food, so. Well, you know, uh, eating healthy as we get older is the best way to go anyway, yeah, regardless of what it is. about 40 right? years ago. So. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> a lot of people may not know, as a closing shot, a lot of people may not know that you played professional slow-pitch softball. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite memory from playing uh, in, in the league when you were— when you were playing, yeah, playing against Joe Pepitone from the from, really? from Jersey. Yeah, he was he was a good guy, and he could hit the ball. He, I met a lot of former uh, professional athletes like that, and I remember there was one guy named Lawrence Hutchison. They call him uh, who lived down there in Culpeper, Virginia. Was on our team. Uh-huh. Boy, could he hit the ball! He hit the ball one time in Vet Stadium. That's where um, Larry, uh, oh gosh, what's his name, first baseman. He hit the. I think he hit that thing about four and ten feet. Wow! Oh, he crushed it. He crushed it. And we didn't have the juice up balls. We could have, but not at that <laughs> time. And we probably did later on. So, well, that's but awesome. I remember him. Yeah, he that's was. A, he was a good ball player. 
Well, I'll tell you what, Coach. I have uh, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. It's great to see you again. Uh, Likewise. And, and catch up a little bit, but uh, I really, really enjoyed it today. I, I think that uh, folks will get a little bit different view, and, and certainly uh, for the football junkies out there that we're hoping to reach, uh, being able to, uh, you know, hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, from one of the guys, all-time greatest return men in history of the NFL is, is a special thing, and it's uh, special for me personally and professionally. So I really want to thank you well, for thank being you. here. I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. Hey, guys, listen, if, uh, if you haven't done so, be sure to subscribe. We really hope you uh, enjoy the podcast. And remember, if you do anything in football, make sure you do it for the good of the game. Thanks again. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Please be sure to save this episode to your favorites and subscribe to the podcast.